Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and today with me is a special guest for a round two, and that is Dr. Greg Wells. Uh, We're going to link episode 750 in the podcast uh, show notes. That is the first time he was on the show. Phenomenal episode. And uh, today was nothing shy of that. I, I literally could have kept talking to this guy for another three hours. It was so hard to stop uh, be just because the the conversation is, this sounds so weird, but electric. I can't think of any other word to describe it, but we can just keep going on and on. And you can tell his knowledge and his expertise by how many random questions I throw at him and how much research and how many studies and how many times he's gone through this to study for the book he just wrote and so on and so forth. But he always has an answer and a great description for whatever question I threw at him, uh, which just makes the conversation that much more phenomenal because I can geek out and I can get so much out of him as a guest on the show. But he just recently uh, released a book. We interviewed him last time for the last book he did. So we had to bring him on for this book and it is called Powerhouse. Protect your energy, optimize your health and supercharge your performance. Greg has done countless research studies on human performance, helping everybody from Olympic athletes to Navy SEALs to CEOs to children suffering from diseases. And that's what he mainly focuses on now. And so in this book, we really dive deep into how to optimize your health, optimize your life, optimize your body, your fat loss, muscle growth, performance, aerobic ability, everything you can think of at the most foundational level you can get to. And that is the cells, the mitochondria. Um, And I know that sounds pretty geeky and sciencey and and, and we're going to get there, but this is extremely, extremely important. No matter what your health or fitness goal is, this is literally the foundational layer that helps you start any of that. So I know you're going to get a lot out of this episode and I really uh, bring out the best information in him, not to toot my own horn, but I know what you guys want to hear as listeners of this podcast. And I make sure to pull that out of him. Uh, and we're also going to link his book in the show notes as well as his website, his Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Cause he puts out so much great content and you got to get your hands on this book. It just dropped yesterday. So you can get it right now and we'll put that link in the show notes. So I'm going to stop ranting, but this, this podcast was phenomenal. You're going to love it. I cannot wait to share it with you. Uh, and without any further ado, let's get into the podcast with the one and only Dr. Greg Wells. All right, Greg, I am excited to have you back on officially. And this worked out perfectly because as of yesterday, your book is out and we can really just kind of summarize what it's about, tell the people why they need to get this book. And um, I'm excited to dive into that. But before we do, uh, just brief introduction of who you are, because we've had you on the podcast before. So some of you listening might have already heard that podcast. Um, honestly, one of my favorite podcasts, it was such a great conversation between the two of us. And that one was really cool. Cause I, I didn't know a ton about you. And so I was like, oh, let's see how this goes. And I was just blown away, which is always, it's, it's, it was phenomenal. So, um, everybody that was episode 750, which we'll also link in the description of this podcast. So you can go check that out. Listen to it. I highly, highly suggest it. Um, and today we are going to dive into, uh, his new book. Cause last time it was about his last book. So, uh, but before we do. Kind of give us a, a brief introduction before we dive into that. For for those who didn't listen to that yet and have not heard your, uh, your, I mean, you have podcasts out, you have videos, you have content, you have books. If somebody doesn't know you, who is Greg? What do you do? Why do you do it? Got it. Cody, great to see you again. Um, I'm so happy to be back. We had such a good chat last time. So psyched to be back for another uh, chat. I'm a physiologist, so I do research on human performance and health. Uh, two aspects of my work. I do human physiology for athletes and 
have a consulting practice for business people, but then I run a research program at the hospital for sick children in Toronto and exercise medicine, where we publish research on how we can use sleep, nutrition, exercise mindset to help kids with cancer and cystic fibrosis and heart conditions and those sorts of things. So broadly speaking, I'm a scientist, I'm a researcher, but I love doing public speaking, love doing podcasts, like love writing books just to share everything that we learn from all of those different areas with everybody so that we can all live a great life, get healthy and uh, do fun stuff. So that's what it's all about. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll just say, cause you're humble and that was put lightly. And I know we're, that we're obviously this is round two, so we don't need to dive too much in your story, but uh, there is so much more impressive things about Greg that you can hear on the last podcast. And we got introduced originally because I believe Precision Nutrition, you helped them with some of their certification stuff and they introduced me to you. Um, and then you proceeded to tell me about, you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't want to give credit if it's not there, but Olympians and Navy SEALs and all kinds of crazy people that you have actually been able to coach and help with just improving their performance mentally, physically and everything, right? Yeah. So I broke my neck when I was 15 years old. That kind of started the journey. I was a competitive swimmer growing up, broke my neck, did rehab and neurosurgery and all that sort of stuff, which sparked an interest in kinesiology. So I did a kinesiology undergrad. Then I did a master's in exercise science, PhD in respiratory physiology, uh, and then two postdocs, one on respiratory medicine, one on biomedical engineering. Throughout that time, I've consulted with uh, the Canadian Olympic team uh, through the Sports Center Network. So I was a physiologist for a couple hundred Olympic athletes, uh, many of whom went on to win medals and uh, set some world records and all those sorts of things. In parallel to that, I've always sort of gravitated towards helping people in the military. So spent some time helping people in uh, special forces in Canada and the U.S., uh, and then also, of course, probably since about 20, well, 2003 is when I started at um, SickKids and that research program emerged out of all of the sports work that we had done. So we needed to build an exercise research program for kids with cystic fibrosis. Initially, that led into stuff with cancer um, that led into some work in heart conditions and lupus and inflammatory disorders. And uh, all of that has been growing. And then since about 2010, I've been doing a lot more public speaking, a lot more consulting and helping businesses apply all of these ideas because I want people at work to do better. And of course, applying as much as we can to schools as well. Because if we can help people at work and at school, I figure that's where we spend about 80% of our lives. And so that's where I think we can have the best chance of helping the most the most people. I love it, man. And, and it's so cool too, to hear that um, it's such a it's such a cool route of going about helping, especially children with disease, but like going the route of health and exercise and nutrition versus just strictly, and there's nothing wrong with pharmaceutical advances. Obviously uh, we are a lasting species because of a lot of what medicine and, and everything has done for us. But um, the fact that they're spending so much time and effort and, and money into investing in kids health through exercise is just phenomenal. And um, there's so much to be said about that, that, and I've even used, I mean, there was like probably three different studies. Um, one that really stands out to me, and this is all just from our last podcast but that I've used in my coaching practice, but like one that stands out to me is like the, the research on walking and moving and being outdoors with green scenery around you and the influence that can have. And, and I remember being so one, like love it. Cause I'm already biased to being outside. I live in the Pacific Northwest and I'm like always walking through the trails and everything, but, um, there's just so much research that people don't know about in regards to exercise, improving your health and longevity and disease prevention and immune function, all these things um, that it, it was really cool to have you on the podcast. And we're obviously going to dive into some of that today as well, but um, it's just cool. I just want to commend you for, for being a big part of influencing the medical community, the children who are suffering 
by doing it in that way. It's just so cool. Yeah, thanks. I mean, as you said, there's a place for pharmaceuticals and you know, I've I've spent a lot of time doing research in kids leukemia and if my son or daughter had leukemia, I'd want them on chemo and the radiation and the stem cell transplants. Like you have to have that. But after that's done, you need to get back to thriving again. And that's where sleep, nutrition, exercise, mindset play a role. And so when we talk about prevention of disease, that sleep, nutrition, exercise, mindset, when we talk about treatment of disease, of course, we need everything in our arsenal to get better and, and deal with those illnesses. And then of course, recovery from illness is where we can use sleep, nutrition, exercise mindset as well. So I almost think of it like bookends to the treatment. And that's where we like to spend our time, like enhance what happens uh, in the hospital and help the kids as much as possible once they're out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good analogy. I love that. Let's, let's shift gears and talk about your book. Cause I think if we keep talking on this realm, we'll start touching yeah. on some of the things inside there. Um, so the book is called powerhouse and first and foremost, what if you had to, I mean, I'm going to read this part of the book because I have the book right in front of me, um, but you can kind of summarize and explain this a little bit better. So, so the book's called powerhouse and it says protect your energy, optimize your health and supercharge your performance. So what does that really mean? What is this book about? Got it. So about two years ago, middle of the pandemic, seeing what's going on, everyone's exhausted. Everyone's burned out. People are tired. People are fatigued and we had enough. And I was like, all right, that's a this is not good. The world is suffering right now. I was like, okay, what's the problem? Burnout and exhaustion. Fair enough. What's the solution to that? Everyone needs more energy. If you really want to reach your potential, right? We need to get our energy levels up so we can get rid of this burnout. We can start to have this energy to go about our lives. Well, how do humans get energy? Well, we get energy through our mitochondria, which are little tiny structures inside our brain, inside of our muscles, inside of every single cell of our body, except red blood cells, but all the other ones. And they break down the foods that you eat to create energy super efficiently and effectively. So if we need more energy, we need to optimize our mitochondria. I started digging into mitochondrial function. It, it turns out that's basically what I've been researching my entire life. At SickKids, all my research program revolves around mitochondrial optimization, but then discovered that mitochondria are implicated in pretty much every single chronic disease, heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, even mental health challenges like depression. So not only does it give us energy so we can live our lives to the highest possible level, but they also are implicated in every single chronic disease pathway. So this is like the key to health, wellness, and performance. So I wanted to write a book about it, started digging into it. And what we have now is powerhouse, just simple things that people can do to optimize their mitochondria. So we have more energy so we can go about living our lives and, and reach our potential. So before we get into each one of those categories, can you go a little bit deeper on what mitochondria is? And, and obviously I want to say and why it's so important, but you did break that down pretty well. And just saying that it's, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here or elaborate further, but it's kind of like, uh, it's the first step or the first part of the sequence in order to get more out of everything, right. To get more out of your body, your muscles, your, your, uh, mindset, your thought process, Really, if we want to, and, and I love that you use the word optimize, because I think that's the key. If we want to optimize or get better at any realm, any regard, you kind of have to start with that foundational level. And it seems like the mitochondria is that foundational level. Is that correct? It is. And when I started digging into it, I just began unpacking things and going deeper and deeper and deeper. And the foundation to our lives, like life itself on this planet is mitochondria. Actually, if we go back in time, and this is so mind-blowing, so I'll share it. Hopefully it's interesting. I think it's interesting, but I hope your, your listeners find it interesting as well. We go back like billions of years ago in the 
oceans 4 billion years ago, there were vents in the bottom of the ocean and hot water would get, would get pumped out of these vents. And then that hot water would interact with the cold water around it. And so there was a gradient in temperature. When there's a difference in temperature, that creates a difference in electrical charge. That also then started to create differences in chemicals back and forth across those different gradients. Those gradients eventually turned into actual structures and the gradients, the differences in temperature and chemistry and electricity became membranes. Those membranes persist in all life that exists today. Those are our cell membranes. There's differences in electricity and temperature in chemistry. And then a couple billion years later, those membranes turned into various different cells and those cells proliferated around the world and became plants and, and single cellular organisms. And then one day something really interesting happened. The two different types of cells that existed, one was anaerobic, it used sugar for energy. And the other one was aerobic, it used oxygen for energy. Well, the sugar using one ate the oxygen uh, using cell. And instead of just destroying it, they began to work together. And because these now symbiotic cells work together, they could produce energy anaerobically or aerobically under all conditions. And that led to the explosion of life on planet Earth because there was such a massive evolutionary advantage that it had. Those cells became all life that we know today. And the, or the oxygen-using cell that got eaten turned into mitochondria. And these are now present in our brain cells. They're present in our muscle cells. They're present in your white blood cells, with fight, which fight off um, disease and illness. They're present in your skin. Literally, the only cell they're not present in is your red blood cells. And so these enable us to create energy super efficiently so that we can think, so we can move, so we can digest food. They give us everything that we do today. So they're super important, super foundational. Turns out that they're damaged or they don't work very well in cardiovascular disease. In most different types of cancer, there's mitochondria dysfunction involved. They're dysfunctional in neurons when we have an experience depression. But the wonderful thing is they're hyper-responsive. They adapt to breath work. They adapt to exercise. They adapt to hot and cold, to nutrition, to our mindset, to stress. So as much as they're very sensitive, they can get worse if things aren't good. They can get a lot better if we do things right. So I'm super hopeful that it gives people like the scientific rationale for doing it. They're super important. They matter for everything, but they can change. And that's what's really exciting to me. So this might not be a question you can answer, um, or it could be the million dollar question. Um, the It's kind of like the chicken before the egg thing. So like with these diseases, like cancer, anything like that, is it that somebody's unhealthy mitochondria or like poor mitochondria causes more disease or is it that disease destroys mitochondria? And I guess I'm, I'm kind of wondering from a standpoint, and this even goes to almost everything. Like when we try to disassociate preventative from recovery or like prehab from rehab kind of thing, like people talk about meditation and uh, I need to meditate when I get anxious. I'm like, well, you should probably meditate to not get anxious. And it's kind of like, well, you can use it for either or whatever, you know, but, yeah. um, is there anything to show that poor mitochondria comes first or is it that disease causes issues with mitochondria? Uh, it turns out both are, both are true. And so when we first started looking at this at SickKids, one of the first research projects that I did 
um, at SickKids when I started to do my work there was around cystic fibrosis. So cystic fibrosis is a genetic disease. You're born with it and there's dysfunction in the way that proteins fold in the membranes. And as a result, there's differences in sodium and chloride across channels and it especially present in the lungs. And so uh, you have a hard time clearing sticky phlegm out of your mucus out of your lungs. And so there's infection that eventually damages the lungs and um, the lungs deteriorate over time. Fortunately, there's some incredible new drugs now. So cystic fibrosis used to be a death sentence. And uh, very recently, the lifespan was like 30 years. Now it's lengthening and lengthening and lengthening and these incredible new drugs that are so good that actually you probably die from something else if you have CF now, which is super exciting. But our research showed that in fact, the cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulator was present on the surface of mitochondria and that they were in fact not functioning very well. So in the case of cystic fibrosis, it was primary to the disease. The dysfunctional mitochondria um, were primary to the disease. But we also think that because cystic fibrosis is systematically um, inflammation is present sort of everywhere because they're fighting off illnesses and bacteria constantly, that that systematic inflammation also damages mitochondria. We know that in obesity, the fat droplets that are inside of our cells run uh, and move right up against mitochondria. That has been shown to damage mitochondrial membranes. However, there's other situations like um, if we do not exercise enough, for example, mitochondria deteriorate and, and get worse. In cancer, it's definitely both. It's a combination of both dysfunctional mitochondria, which are probably involved in the generation of cancer cells. But then also there's a situation where you know cancer can also damage mitochondria through inflammation and other pathways. So it's definitely both. Um, it's hard to tease out sometimes. A lot of work's required to make that happen. But it's definitely, not, it's not just a chicken or the egg. It's actually the chicken and, and the egg in this case. Okay. Um, a couple, couple questions based on what you just said. One is it's intertwined with all this, but it's semi non-related, but I think it's important just because sometimes people get confused with this and that's inflammation. And I'm more curious of like, what's your definition of that? Because I think that, you know, there's, there's joint inflammation, there's gut inflammation, there's brain inflammation. There, there, I mean, there's just so many variations of quote unquote inflammation. And sometimes people will say, oh, it's just inflamed or you have inflammation going on. And if I were to say, what is inflammation? They would have no idea. Or people just think of bad or it's swollen. And it's like, well, I guess it depends on what you're talking about, you know? So, um, what is, what is your definition of inflammation or what is the definition? Is there, is there one or is it multifaceted? Uh, multifaceted. Let me see if I can explain this in a, in a good way that everyone can understand. Cause I think it can provide people that are interested in fitness, uh, a huge amount of context for what they do or what they don't do. Uh, so you have a cell and, Inside the cell, there's membranes and nucleus and that has all your genetic material. There's mitochondria that create energy and all sorts of other structures. Uh, when you are when you experience stress, and we experience that as mental stress or physical stress, but in the cell, there's the same thing. There's, there's stress. Um, it can be mechanical, so you can tear tissues. Uh, it can be chemical, so there could be some disruption of, of physiology. So for example, let's say you lift weights. Um, mechanically, you would tear some protein fibers and amino acids. Uh, those would then stimulate the body to get better. If you go for a run and you sprint up a hill, you break down sugars that produces lactic acid. Those are chemicals that we detect as well. Those can be 
disruptive. So it can be mechanical stress, like actual physical damage or chemical stress inside of our cells. That then triggers something called oxidation, especially when we breathe and we use oxygen to create energy to heal. There's an oxidative process that happens. Um, that's an important part of the response. Uh, that then triggers inflammation. Inflammation is the healing process that happens in order to repair those tissues that have been damaged. So we have antioxidant nutrition, which helps us to lower our oxidant levels inside of our cells. We have anti-inflammatory nutrition, which can help us to alleviate um, the inflammation inside of our cells. Cold water immersion would be another way to do that. Massage therapy is probably another way to do that as well. Uh, so inflammation is actually the healing process through which we repair and regenerate all of our tissues it can be problematic if we are chronically inflamed. So if you're short-term inflamed, that's the healing process. If you're always inflamed, it actually ends up damaging um, tissues over the long-term. So I hope that I've explained that at least a little bit, but they're both positive in short, acute doses, both being oxidation and inflammation. They help us to stimulate healing and growth. However, they're problematic if they're chronic because they end up damaging the tissues because they never have a chance to repair, recover, and regenerate. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think that's perfect. Hope I did that right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's good. I think it's it's a very complex question and topic, um, but I think that breaks it down a little bit better. And I think people just need to know generally that it can mean different things. And sometimes it's not always, because even like in the standpoint of like, for my world, building muscle, sometimes inflammation is good because we're causing stress to the muscle. And as long as we can adapt to that inflammation, this is why taking an anti-inflammatory post-workout might not be the best idea for building muscle because you're not allowing your body to do the job of curing that inflammation to rebuild tissue. I think it's just when it gets into more physiological levels, the cell or the gut or the brain, it just gets a lot more complex. And I think people throw out that term without really knowing what it means or what's going on. And you're absolutely correct. Like if you just think about it in terms of a cut, right? Let's say you cut your finger, your hand, there's a physical cut. It gets red, it gets swollen, it hurts. And that's the inflammatory process. Then a scab forms, it heals, and you're left with repaired and regenerated skin tissue. That's the inflammatory process. You can see it happen. It's very important for that to occur. But mm -hmm. if you just kept cutting it over and over and over and over again, then obviously that's going to get infected. It's going to become uh, there's going to be scar tissue, right? Like that's the problem. It, it's the chronic inflammation that can be problematic in the short term, in short bursts, you do weights, you come home, you get a great night's sleep. You have some good food, your muscles repair and regenerate. That's what actually stimulates us to get stronger because there's that recovery and regeneration phase. Similarly, you go for a run, you stress your mitochondria because they're the oxygen using, um, structures inside of the body, you stimulate the growth of new mitochondria, you get fitter over time. But if you constantly went to the gym three times a day and lifted weights three times a day, every single day for three weeks in a row, eventually you're going to get injured because you're going to be chronically inflamed and there's no recovery. So it's that balance between training and recovery that enables that inflammatory process to work such that we get stronger, fitter, faster. Now, the challenge is, is that stress also causes inflammation. 
And so if you have physical stress going to the gym, coupled with psychological stress at work in our personal lives, then things can become overwhelming. And that's where that balance between training, recovery, and regeneration begins to play in, especially as we go about our lives. We've got families, we've got jobs we need to deal with. So it can get pretty complicated, but the simple way of thinking about it is, in general, acute, short-term stress, physical, mental, probably pretty good, stimulates a little bit of inflammation. But if you recover and regenerate, it's all good. You're going to get stronger. You're going to get more resilient mentally. It's the chronic, unrelenting, repeated stress that we experience in our lives because we get so busy. We There's so much happening. There's so much coming at us from the news cycles. Uh, maybe we're overtraining a little bit as well, not eating super healthy because we know that that, you know, unhealthy nutrition can increase our inflammation levels as well. Um, so that can, that's where it can all get a little bit complicated, but acute's good. Chronic is bad is the simplest way to think about it. The next question I had based on what you were saying before we get into the first aspect is in this, the answer might just be like, no, you just got to start working on it, but can somebody tell or is there a test? Like, so we say like, okay, mitochondria is important. We don't want it to get to a poor place in whether you have something happen to you and that causes it or having bad mitochondria causes the bad thing to happen to you, disease, whatever. We don't know, but obviously we got to take care of this. Is there a way to know? Like, like, cause with hormones, you can get a blood test. You can say, oh, my testosterone is very low. I need to improve my health. My, you know, thyroid is unhealthy. I need to improve my health. Like we can test that. Is there a way to test mitochondria or is it kind of just like, there's like biofeedback we can kind of pay attention to and guess, or how does it work? Yeah. I mean, we can, you can go get a muscle biopsy and they can put a little cut in your skin and put a needle into your muscle and take out a chunk of that muscle and examine your mitochondria and test the enzymes and do all of that to find out actually really how are your muscles and your mitochondria in your muscles doing. Um, that is obviously expensive, very painful. And most of us don't want to go through that. I worked in a lab that did that. I've never had it done, not interested. Um, but we can actually get a really good handle on how well our mitochondria are functioning. If we think about mitochondria being the oxygen using structures inside of our cells, it uses oxygen to break down the foods that we eat in order to create energy. Um, you've probably all heard of a VO2 max test or maximal aerobic capacity. And so that is literally a test that to some extent tells you about the overall general oxygen using capability of your entire body. If you divide by your kilos, you get relative versus absolute and your relative VO2 max is a pretty good indicator of your aerobic mitochondrial um, fitness. Another way to look at it that's a little bit more simple if you don't want to go to a VO2 max test in a lab is most of us now have these wearable devices, whether it's a Fitbit or a Garmin or an Apple watch or whatever. You can look at the speed that your heart rate drops after you finish a really hard bout of exercise. And if your recovery after exercise is fast, that's great because that recovery after you exercise aerobically or anaerobically or strength-based, that recovery is dependent upon the health and wellness and function of your mitochondria. It's that one minute or two minute post-exercise heart rate change can give you a really good indication of your mitochondrial health. Um, so those are two sort of one lab based and one 
biometric based uh, ways that you can get a general sense of your mitochondrial aerobic fitness. Love it. Yeah. And I think uh, we'll find out here in a sec, but I think based on some of these key things that you're teaching in the book to help with this, um, if somebody, for example, we'll go into the first one now, which is breathe. Well, let's say in, and I haven't read through everything, so I don't know how accurate this is, but let's say there's some breathing exercise or something um, and somebody really struggles with it. That could be a sign that maybe you're not in the best place with your mitochondria. You need to improve this versus if somebody does the, goes through this and like, oh, that was a breeze. Well, that's probably a good sign. So you can even kind of self-test as you're going through some of these practices um, because I'm assuming regardless if you're in a healthy place or not, you want to do these. So um, let's dive into the first one, which is breathe. And, and I love, again, I, I think I told you this before we start recording, but I love the way your books are always broken down because it's like, it makes it so easy to like look at the table of contents and go, okay, what is this book about and what is he going to teach me? You know, and there's like some, some, there's four main key components that you're going to really go into. And then there's, I believe a, a whole like challenge at the end of it and stuff, which people will have to get the book and see, um, to go through it. But the first one is breathe. So tell us why this is important, what you go through in this section and, and what the, the listener can learn when reading this section specifically. Yeah. If we think about our mitochondria and optimizing our mitochondria, optimizing our energy, this, the most fundamental element that our bodies need in order to be able to get healthy, improve our well-being, perform mentally or physically, is oxygen. We have to get oxygen into our bodies. If you stop breathing, you die within minutes. You can stop drinking water, you've got days. Stop eating foods, you've got weeks, right? So oxygen is the most important of those. How do we get oxygen into our bodies? We breathe. And our breathing is pretty much controlled mostly unconsciously. You've got a baseline drive to breathe. That's deep inside your brain and your medulla. That's what happens when you sleep. When you wake up, it's a little bit more. When you exercise, it's a little bit more. And if you exercise really hard, there's feedback that makes you breathe even more. So that's all happening automatically, but we can also manipulate our breath to change our state. So if you are stressed out, anxious, nervous, fearful about something, you're about to do a speech or something like that. You're about to go into a job interview. You're about to write a test. You're about to go do a really hard workout or something like that. And you notice that your heart's beating fast. Maybe you're breathing a little bit harder. That long, slow exhale is magic. Dr. Robin Hanley Defoe is a dear friend of mine, refers to it as the birthday candle breath, right? Like you imagine that there's some candles in front of you. We're just taking that long, slow exhale to blow those out. The long, slow exhale signals to the stress center inside the brain that everything's okay. We can relax, we can calm down, and we can do that deliberately. It's a really powerful tool that we can use to take our activation level down a few notches. And in right now, I mean, so many of us are struggling with anxiety, with fear, with uncertainty, with the news cycle, and it's so easy to get caught up in that. And so just taking a few minutes to, or even a few seconds, a few breaths to practice that long, slow exhale can make a huge difference for us. We know that special forces, soldiers, police, firefighters, ambulance techs, like anyone who's in a difficult, challenging job, many of them are taught box breathing, which is four seconds in, hold for four seconds, out for four seconds, hold for four seconds. And that's a pattern that you can carry on with over an extended period of time to stay calm, cool, and collected, yet oxygenated 
in very, very challenging, stressful circumstances. Now, the other end of the spectrum is true too. If you do these sharp exhales, like, right, that's what athletes do right before they're about to compete. That's what you would do right before you're about to lift heavy weights, right? That's an activating um, style of breath. So those sharp exhales can bring your bring you up, re-energize you when you when you need to get that extra little bit little bit of a boost. So we can actually control our breathing. And by controlling our breathing, we can calm down, perform, or even psych up, depending on what we're trying to do. So a few things on this. Um first one, I remember when I first started practicing like meditation stuff and and I didn't have uh maybe they explained it and I just don't remember because this is years ago. But they they use the four second aspect, right? And uh, I remember being out of breath at first when I first started practicing it because it was very difficult for me to exhale for that long and then pause after doing that. Um, even just four, I think it was with them. I believe there was times where it was four, but sometimes I even believe it was a little bit longer than four seconds, depending on what you're doing. But yeah. um, what is that a sign of is because if we're talking about like, when I think of that, I'm like, well, that didn't calm me down <laughs> because it was hard. And then I couldn't do it for very yeah. long. Um, obviously as you practice, you get better at it. But what is that a sign of when it's difficult to do that? It is difficult to do that. So when I first started doing a lot of breath work recently and deliberately practicing, I had the exact same experience I've been doing. I mean, I did my doctorate on breathing 20 years ago. So I've been playing with breath work for like 20 years, but recently like deliberately practicing in the morning, usually in the sauna, um, I tried this and I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't actually breathe out. And so what we learned to do is breathe through a full range of motion. So many of us go through the day and we breathe sort of shallow at the top of our, our lungs, a sort of shallow breath. Every once in a while, we might take a deep breath. We might take a sigh, but learning to take complete breaths in and then complete breaths out is quite challenging. If you feel out of breath, that's probably actually not a sign of not having enough oxygen. You've probably got enough oxygen. It's probably a sign of a lot of carbon dioxide. And we get a lot of CO2 build up in our blood when we don't exhale completely. And so the first time that you might try this, you might be like, oh my gosh, I'm out of breath. I can't hold my, that's because you're actually noticing that there's CO2. You feel the CO2, which makes you want to take that next breath. We can even just practice that right now as sort of a group to, you know, to give us a, a sense of what we're talking about. So if everyone just sort of sit gently wherever you are, or maybe even lie down and relax your shoulders and sit up straight or, you know, lie down straight and relax those legs and just, you know, just do a normal exhale. And then we'll just breathe in for four. Hold for four. Let's try to go out for eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Hold three, two, one, and then in. Right? That's a weird feeling to go through that complete range, especially breathing that much out, right? Like it feels weird. So it's a really cool experience. I was like out. My breath was gone by six. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And like, you'll be in like, it's three and I'm out. How do I stay here for another long? And that practice, you'll learn to breathe completely in. You'll learn to breathe completely out. Um, And it's fun. And you can do that in the sauna. You can do that in between sets in the gym. 
it's fun to experiment with that when you're doing, if you do cold water immersion, it's super powerful to do that. Although be careful because you don't want to pass out. Um, so there's loads of different ways in which you can practice this. I actually like doing box breathing during long meetings. I don't love being in boardrooms and sitting in, yeah. in long meetings. So I'll do breath work all the time. No one knows what I'm doing and no one can detect it. So it's a fun way to pass the time as you're sitting in, in rooms, um, in committee meetings and stuff like that. So anyway, yeah, there's loads of different ways of practicing it. Othership is a cool app that people can check out. They're an, a neat little group that's got a very, very cool breath work app that's set to music and stuff like that. If you want to experiment and get some good guided breath work sessions, they're, they are awesome. Yeah. So I have one thing I want to point out and then two questions to see if there's any research to support what I'm wondering. Um, the first thing I just want to point out is if anybody listening is thinking about like, uh, like 007 or Bruce Lee or somebody who like could calm their heart rate down to be undetected or anything like that, or pass a lie detector test because they're a spy. Th this is essentially how you can become that badass yourself and be able to do that. Uh, cause that was the first thing that popped in my mind is like, that's how yeah. I did it. Um, the questions I had on a serious note, first one being, is there any research to support these long breaths, um, improving aerobic capacity? And I asked that because if we think about, I, I get guys who want to build muscle or get stronger or anything. And they're like, well, why would I want to do cardio? And it's like, well, I understand that you don't want to do so much cardio, you're burning too many calories. Cause if you're trying to gain muscle mass, that's obviously not the goal. However, if your aerobic capacity is better, you will recover faster between reps and sets and workouts, and that's going to allow you to do more volume and recover from that volume, and that is what builds muscle. Um, so I'm wondering if this helps improve that because obviously if you improve your breathing, it will in turn help you recover between sets, reps, and all that stuff pretty accurately as, as though maybe it's not the same exact, exact thing as cardio, but this could be another added thing that doesn't burn as many calories that would help that. Yeah, absolutely. And I've watched a lot of your content recently, actually. And that was one of the ones that intrigued me a lot was that issue around um, calorie burn and minimizing that um, outside of lifting weights in order to make sure that you're gaining as much muscle mass as possible. It's it's an interesting idea. And there's a couple of different, let's break this apart. So let's say you're lifting, you do a really hard set, your muscles are burning. It was like, let's say it's squats, right? Like you're doing 12 squats, heavy weights, you're completely full of lactate, you rack the bar and then you got to recover. That's where the long, slow, deep breaths matter because what's happening there is you're blowing off the carbon dioxide. And when we exercise really hard intensely, we do produce, we break down sugars. And when you break down sugars, you create lactic acid and that breaks into two pieces, lactate and the acid component. The acid component actually is linked to carbon dioxide. And so when you exhale deeply, you blow off that CO2, which reduces the acid load in your blood and then your muscles, which enables you to recover between sets. So those long breaths in between your sets is what's enab enabling you to stabilize your internal physiology to get back to resting so that you can do another set hard. So practicing that breath work between sets is massive because it enables you to do better work more often. In terms of cardio, what cardio overall does, and let's just say that that could be walking, that could be jogging, swimming, paddling, whatever it is, rhythmic repetitive activity over an extended period of time. That's what stimulates improvement in your heart function. That's what stimulates improvement in your lung function. That's what improves your red blood cells. That's what improves the mitochondria inside your muscles and inside your brain, super important as well. All of which sets the stage for better health 
And then of course, strength training does that, that as well. But ultimately what you're building there is a capacity to do more work more often. And of course you've got to be careful because you're burning calories and you want to make sure that those calories go towards muscle um, development, if that's your objective. And so I think they play beautifully into each other. When we're doing cardio, walk, run, jog, swim, bike, paddle, the game with breath work is something called entrainment. And what that means is that we're just simply breathing in pattern with the movement. So if you go for a walk and you're allow your mind to wander and you stick with a consistent pattern, eventually your breathing will sync up with your movement. And that's what enables your brain to relax. Your mind starts wandering. You get out of beta brainwave stress mode down into alpha mode or theta mode where you can be creative and you can ideate and problem solve. It's really good for our mental health. And so that entrainment pattern, breathing and rhythm to the movement is so powerful when we do cardio. It's the same thing in the gym, right? We want to inhale or exhale on contraction or lengthening of the muscle, um, eccentric or concentric contraction. So it's, it's definitely part of all of it, but that's how I kind of think about breath work from a strength perspective. And then also from a cardio perspective. I love it. It's, uh, in a way, I guess it doesn't necessarily, it's, it's hard to say, cause obviously when you're running and you're contracting musculature to do it, it probably has more of a, uh, I don't know if strengthening is the right word, but a strengthening effect or a progressive effect with cardiovascular functions rather than just breathing. But I would, I got to imagine that breath work is going to improve your oxidative and respiratory system, which in turn helps cardio. Obviously it helps the, uh, the strength training aspect as well. Um, but I guess only because I know I'll get this question. Is it, do you believe it's going to still help? Like somebody's listening. They're like, I hate cardio. I don't want to do any cardio. Will yeah. this help my strength training or is it only going to help my cardio in which cardio will help my strength training kind of thing? Does that make sense? Um, it does. I get it that people don't like it. Um, <laughs> you got to do it. You got to do it, right? Like it's so good for your brain. It's so good yeah. for your heart. It's so good for your lungs. It's so good for your blood. It's so good for your kidneys. It's so good for your liver. Um, it enables you to recover and regenerate faster between sets. Of course it improves your cardio but the better your cardio is, the better your strength training is going to be. You're going to lift heavier weights more often. We did a really interesting study on um, a large number of very elite golfers, and we studied everything, vertical jump, hand grip strength, you know, core strength and stability. But we also did a cardio test. And out of the 20 plus metrics that we tracked, we then looked at a host of golf metrics as well, short game, long game, putting overall score. And the, the highest correlate with golf performance, golf, right? It's not the most aerobically demanding sport in the world. Um, in elite performers was cardiovascular fitness. Wow. It was whoever was most cardiovascularly fit tended to be the best on day four of a tournament because they were the less fatigued. And so if you're looking at it in terms of your training, not just a set, but in terms of your overall training, the total volume of training that you're able to do and sustain, I believe that cardio is the foundation for you being able to do great work, not just on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, more consistently, more often. Mm -hmm. um, plus just the mental health benefits and the overall health and longevity benefits as well. It's interesting. Aerobic conditioning seems to improve a molecule called AMP kinase, which is associated with lifespan where strength training is 
associated with improvements in mTOR, which is, which is associated in health span, how long you live with a, a chronic disease. And so if we have this balance between AMP kinase being circulated around the body to extend our lifespan, and then some mTOR circulating around our bodies as well, occasionally to extend our health span, you get both that long, long life, but then also a long life free of chronic disease. Uh, so that's, that's something to think about. Love it. Yeah. And uh, just to nail the coffin shut for anybody who is like just purely aesthetically driven, there was a, a recent study not too long ago they did on uh, people building muscle. And before the training, it was uh they did leg press or squat. I can't remember, but it was, they were testing cross-sectional area in their quad muscle specifically for, for looking at muscle mass more, more than anything. And <clears throat> they had people cycle or not cycle beforehand. But what they did is they only did one leg. So like they had one leg doing cycling. What they were looking at is, is the cardiovascular training of that muscle. So the ability to improve mitochondrial function, uh, regenerate, you know, get blood flow to the muscle and oxygen and everything like that. But it was only on one limb. And they showed during the, the study that the people who did one leg, their muscle grew more on that leg eight weeks post doing eight weeks of that cardio or four weeks of the cardio is eight week study. One of the two, um, I'll have to try to find it if I can link it in the show notes, but it was really interesting. Cause it kind of just shows like, Hey, even for you bodybuilders who just want to build muscle, these people built more muscle and there wasn't an ability to say like, Oh, well, it's only certain people or it's genetics or anything. It's like, we can't even blame it on genetics or anything. It's this is Steve's right leg and left leg, you know? Yeah. And he did the leg press, which is the bilateral movement, both legs and the leg that had more cardiovascular improvements built more muscle. So it's, it's really helpful for, for those people who always question it. And, and it's okay. It's also important for people to remember, like, you don't need to go for a 45 minute bike ride. Exactly. This could be literally five minutes of walking on a treadmill before you start your workout and 10 minutes of spinning on the spinning on the bike at the end of your workout to clear all the metabolites. And then you win, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't need to do lots and they can fit into your strength yeah. training just as a way of enhancing it. And you might not even notice that you're doing it, you know, just the end of the end of the workout, spin your legs for 10 minutes. You're going to feel way better anyway and um, get that, get that little dose of AMP kinase going. Yeah. And so I know we haven't even moved on to move yet, but we're kind of touching on a little bit here. So I think it's okay. And, and I, and I wanted to spend a little bit more time on breathe only because breath work has been such a popular topic in the last couple of years, I feel like. And, and so the last two questions I have on this is the first one you, you mentioned briefly, like the short breaths um, that would almost have the opposite of effect, like not calming. Is there any research to support it increasing adrenaline or cortisol or anything like that short term? which would be useful before a big lift. So a power lifter walking up to the bar can do those short bursts and it causes this surge in adrenaline to lift heavier. Um, and then the follow-up question for just general breathing is any, is there any difference amongst any of this? If you are doing nasal breathing specifically while doing this versus, uh, through your mouth. I love chatting to you because your questions are so, um, so awesome and <laughs> complicated. So, Let's, let's try to break this out. My brain is like working overtime here. So, uh, let's, let's deal with the first issue first. The short, sharp exhales have been shown to increase nervous system activation, um, especially of the sympathetic nervous system. And it's almost instantaneous. Mm. So for example, in tennis, if you see a tennis player exhaling hard as they hit the shot, that is a mechanism to increase power, muscular power through nervous system recruitment. Mm. So if we align the exhale, sharp, forceful exhale with a muscular contraction, hitting the tennis ball, uh, and those are happening in alignment that can increase the muscular 
power that is achieved, but it's strictly neurological because it's instantaneous. Um, adrenaline and cortisol are shorter acting. It takes seconds for them to be released. So there's, let's say you perceive you're creating stress inside the brain, those short, sharp, fast exhales, um, that nervous system link inside the brain goes to the amygdala and we detect whether we determine whether or not we consider the environment to be stressful that sends signals down through the spinal cord to the um, pituitary gland that sits right above your kidneys that releases adrenaline and cortisol and, and those then circulate around the body and those then have an impact on your muscles you have felt this happen if you've ever been startled and then a few seconds later you notice your heart pounding in your chest so when you're startled the signal gets sent down through the spinal cord to the pituitary gland that then releases adrenaline that adrenaline circulates. And as soon as it touches your heart muscle, your heart muscle starts pounding strongly in your chest. So that's sort of the, the time delay. Many people have probably felt that before. So if you want to use this in the gym, right before you're about to go do an explosive lift, we're doing this short, fast, sharp exhales, give yourself five ish seconds before you go, then try to execute the lift and then make sure that your breath is aligned with the movement itself. I uh, hope that I've explained that, that reasonably well. So nervous yeah. system is instantaneous hormones are seconds of, um, it takes them to, to have an effect. Unbelievable, man. I, it's, uh, it's so cool too, because, and this is why I love having conversations with you and you can tell somebody one really knows what they're talking about, but two is a great podcaster because, um, for those listening, none of this is scripted. We didn't, I didn't email them. Hey, this is what the questions I'm going to ask you. So I'm just throwing shots and we're seeing what yeah, you can do with them. And the fact that you can pull out so much science and information just, that's just been sitting in your brain, you know, over the years of doing this, it just says so much. Um, and I can relate to that. I got your second question too, by the way, <laughs> I skipped your second question completely. I forgot what it was. We can take actually, it I, that. Think, I think you actually, Oh, the nasal breathing. That's what it was. Oh yes. yeah. The nasal um, breathing. Yep. Correct. So let's break that down too, just cause it's kind of interesting. I've heard a lot about it. My, my dear cousin, uh, Megan's a yoga instructor and she and I had a long discussion about nasal breathing at, at some point. And so, um, I always try to just break things down so that I can think about them in the most straightforward, logical way possible. So if you inhale through your mouth and your airway, your throat, that's a fairly significant um, size tube that the air can move through. If you breathe through your nose, it's a much smaller tube. So that means that if you're breathing through your nose, there's much greater resistance given moving the same amount of air in and out of your lungs. So if you're out for a run and you're breathing hard and you shift from mouth breathing to nasal breathing at the same ventilation rate, you're going to experience significantly more resistance to moving that air in and out of your lungs through your nose, which means that your rib cage muscles in your diaphragm are going to have to contract that much harder. And you will experience that as more probably dyspnea, which is the sensation of breathlessness. Um, funny enough, one really interesting thing about all of that is that the harder your breathing muscles work, the less blood flows to your arms and your legs because your body will preferentially deliver oxygen and blood flow to your rib cage muscles in your diaphragm over your arms and legs because it knows that if you stop breathing, you die. If you stop walking, you can keep living. And so it will spare blood flow and always redirect blood flow towards your breathing muscles first as a priority. 
And so that's why balancing and thinking about your breathing matters so much. Breathing efficiency matters. Uh, the way in which you breathe during exercise can make a huge difference to your performance, whether that's in rowing, swimming, lifting, even archery and shooting, it matters. Uh, so it's pretty cool. It's pretty complicated and definitely something that we can learn a lot more about. And I, I love the fact that breath work is such a hot topic these days because uh, there's so much that it can do for us when we use it the right way. So just real quick, uh, obviously it's more, it's a smaller, shallower, uh, is that, I guess, to conclude that answer, we should be focusing more so on breathing. Cause it almost seems like it's more difficult to breathe through your nose because it's smaller, which is probably why we compensate by breathing through our mouth. But there's so much info out now about you got to like tape your mouth shut and only breathe out of your nose. Um, so are you saying, are you aligned with that? You're saying that it's probably going to be better and more beneficial for your mitochondria as well if you breathe through your nose, or is it not really matter as long as you're getting oxygen in? Um, I would say that like at the cellular level, I'm sure that there's some people that are going to listen to this and be like, he's totally wrong. This is, this might be the most controversial thing that I say. So let me make sure that I sort of couch my answers at the cellular level at the mitochondria probably doesn't matter because it's just oxygen arriving at the mitochondria. It doesn't care whether it came in through your mouth or whether it came in through your nose. Having said that from a work of breathing perspective, keeping ventilation constant, it is much harder to move air through your nasal passages than it is through your mouth because they are smaller tubes. The resistance will be higher. It's just physics. So the work of breathing will be higher at the same ventilation rate. Having said that, there's some research that suggests that the nerves that are innervating the nasal passages are sensitive to air movement and breathing through your nose can have some physiological benefits. I think that that's probably more likely in light to moderate levels of exercise, probably not more intense levels of exercise. And there's definitely some benefit in terms of learning to breathe completely through the full range of your tidal volume, taking deep breaths slowly and smoothly through your nose is probably a better um, tactic than doing so through your mouth. If you're trying to learn how to breathe and be mindful and all of those things. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to lean probably a little bit more towards if I had to choose one during exercise, I'd probably breathe through my mouth. Um, if I had to do one during yoga and meditation, I would definitely do it through my nose. How about that? I'll, I'll couch right in the middle there and say, it depends on the activity. No, Greg is anti nose breathing. We're going to make that sound like, oh my God, I'm done. I'm I'm smoked on Twitter. People Uh, are going to crucify me for that one, but we'll see who knows. There's, there's some uh, nasal breathing camps for sure. And and I've, and I've read the book breathe and it's, it's fantastic. And there's a lot of, yeah, but it's good to hear that too. Cause I think uh, not being against, uh, not that it's, we're not against it. I'm going to make that very clear. You're not saying that, but I think it's, it's important because I think some people were like, oh my gosh, like. I'm screwed. I have, I breathe that I'm a mouth breather. My stress is going to go through the roof. My performance is going to suck, you know, and they made it so impactful and serious. And I understand that's part of what sells. And so that's good. And I think that um, our answers of like, you know, there's times for this are not nearly as sexy, but um, it's good to preface it that way. So um, we've touched on quite a bit with breath and we still have move, energize and thrive. So um, (laughs) we're going to try to move through those a little bit quicker, but I just, it's so hard for me to move through any subject quickly with you, man. There's just so much good information. I love it. So no rush, man. We can do another session another time. We'll we'll go where it's interesting, and that's that's the that's a great place to land. So it's all yeah, good. Wherever yeah, we good. wherever we go is cool. 
So we got move, energize, and thrive. So let's just kind of like, if, if you want to kind of summarize those three, we've obviously touched on how important exercise and cardio is. So I'm assuming that's kind of what move is, but break down like why, I guess what you, the, the big bullet points of those three, move, energize, thrive, and why you um, ordered them in this way, if there was a reason for that with breathe, move, energize, and thrive. So breath work is, and breathing is just simply getting oxygen into your mitochondria. The next step is to get more mitochondria and get those mitochondria that you have stronger and healthier. So how do we do that? How do we stimulate our bodies to produce more mitochondria? Well, we challenge them. The way that we challenge your mitochondria in your muscles uh, is through exercise. And so when we move our bodies, we, and whether it's strength training or cardio, doesn't matter. They both stimulate your mitochondria to get better in different ways. One through the work itself, cardio, and one through the recovery and regeneration, strength work. Um, that stimulus for us to grow new mitochondria is quite powerful. We can create many new mitochondria very, very quickly. And those are stimulated through muscle contraction and metabolites that your muscles produce. Those act on your DNA and tell your DNA, hey, we need more mitochondria so we can exercise the higher level in the future. So get new mitochondria, a mitogenesis, uh, your mitochondria get stronger and more effective. There's more folds in the, in the surface and the membranes of the mitochondria, and you get more mitochondrial enzymes, which are the little chemicals and pathways inside your mitochondria that break down the foods that you eat to create more ATP, which then go off to fuel your muscle contraction. And so exercise is such a powerful way for us to stimulate the growth of new mitochondria and to get the mitochondria that you have to be fitter, stronger, healthier, and more effective. The cool thing is that applies inside muscle tissue. It applies inside the brain, applies inside your skin, applies in many different tissues inside the body, which is why exercise has these broad ranging effects inside the body. You might just go for a walk, which is, you know, just your legs, but the benefits inside your brain are significant, even though your brain isn't actually, you know, doing the walking per se. So it's, it's kind of cool how all of that works, but if you want better, healthier mitochondria, exercise is the way to do that. I love it because it's a cycle too, because the mitochondria is going to help your exercise. You know, so it's like it's exercise to improve your mitochondria. Your mitochondria improving is going to help improve your exercise. And then it's just a cycle of, of not to, you know, plug your own chapter, but thrive. <laughs> like that's where we're yeah. going to. And, and the cool thing about that is it, just, it, it also just makes life easier. Mm -hmm. Walking up the stairs is easier. Carrying your backpack is easier. Lifting something is easier. Running for the bus is easier. Standing in front of a room for an hour and doing a presentation is easier. It just makes everything in life easier, which can be a challenge if you're trying to burn calories as you've, as you've highlighted, right? Like it's harder for you to burn calories because you're more efficient, but the benefit in terms of activities of daily living is so powerful. Like when I'm training well, I am a much better speaker, even though I'm just standing on a stage because, but the end of the hour, I'm not tired. I'm not out of breath. And I like run around and move, right? Like it's, it's just makes my life so much easier. I've got two young kids, a weekend with my kids when I'm not training is not good. They tire me out. They're too yeah. fit. Right. So I literally have to train in order to keep up with my kids these days. So yeah, it's, it just makes everything about life a little bit easier. Yeah. I talked about this recently. We went to Disneyland uh, and my daughter's five and we, which she turned five there. So we took her there for a birthday and she, we didn't get her a stroller or a cart or anything. And I saw all these people with carts and we were planning on it originally, but she was like, no, I'm going to walk. I was like, all right. And she powered through, she did really well, but there was plenty of times where I, she was riding on my shoulders and everything. But every night after spending all day walking, I'd see my step count two to three times what it normally is. And I was totally fine. And I was like, yeah, 
I'm not tired. This is great. And then the next day I'm ready to do it again. And it's, and you know, it carries over a lot. So I love that. Um, and I guess that kind of leads us right into energize, right? This is basically a cyclical process to just create more energy throughout day-to-day life. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. You want to fuel your mitochondria, right? And this gets us into nutrition, but it's not just your mitochondria, it's all tissues. And it always leads us into healthy eating, getting away from processed foods, optimizing our carbohydrate intake, proteins to rebuild tissues, fats to make sure that your nervous system is functioning really, really well. But back to what we talked about earlier, oxidation and inflammation, there are foods that have antioxidant effects. There are foods that have anti-inflammatory effects. And we want to have this cycle. We want to be we want to oxidate, oxidize our tissues, but then heal, repair, and regenerate them afterwards. We want to inflame our tissues through exercise and even mental activity such that our muscles get stronger. There's that stimulus for growth, that, that stimulus for resilience. And so anti-inflammatory, antioxidant nutrition, I think is really powerful and important for us. That's basically eating the rainbow, multicolored, polyphenols, flavonoids. There's so many spices are amazing for us. Um, you know, grass fed beef, wild fish, cold water, fatty fish with lots of omega sixes. There's so many amazing foods that help us to recover and to regenerate and to heal and to repair. It's almost like a shift in our nutrition. Um, thinking about our, our nutrition as fuel only to fuel, but then also for healing. And I think that's an interesting way to approach it these days, right? Like when we're, when we're eating our food, is this going to help me to heal? Is this going to make my body healthier? Is this going to make me happier? Is this going to, and I'm not saying don't have a treat ever, right? Like, of course there's, I take my kids for ice cream from time to time. We just try not to keep it in the house. Uh, Cause then I will eat it all for a host of different reasons. Um, anyway, so that's, that's the main idea. There's just energy, but not just fuel. Uh, we're also looking at it from a healing perspective as well. You talked, uh, I want to, I don't know if these are, uh, I don't know if synonymous is the right word, but they're together or if these are completely separate or if they just impact each other. Um, but the oxidation, you know, we talk about oxidation and uh, antioxidants and, and the oxidative system. And some of this has to do with breathing and breath work. So I'm assuming breath work kind of ties into all this. And this is going to be one of those questions that you might not be able to answer. And and I will, I can guarantee this, it's not a direct thing. So I don't want people to think, oh, if I breathe better, I lose more fat. But one of the interesting things about fat loss that people don't often realize is that, you know, when you are, you kind of breathe fat out, if that makes sense, you know, because when we go through lipolysis or fat oxidation, we're burning fat. A lot of people don't know what happens to fat. Like, where does it go? And a lot of times, uh, what from the research I've read, you actually breathe out a lot of this, right? It happens through oxidative processes and, and breath. And that's why aerobic capacity and aerobic training is really helpful for fat loss. And, and having a good aerobic system helps with continued fat loss. And there's plenty of research to support that. Um, so my question is, is the breath work, and obviously it's tied to, you know, if you breathe better, it's going to be, you're going to move better because when you're moving, you're breathing better. And when you're breathing better while you're moving, you move better and so on and so forth. These things are going to give you more energy. So I love how they're all tied, but is there enough, um, tie into fat loss directly? And I ask this a lot because there's a lot of coaches and individuals that listen to the podcast who are mainly focused on body composition and health. So is there any tie-in with this? Do, do you feel strongly enough to say that if you have good breath work, you actually probably would um, see improvements or be able to improve fat loss? And maybe it's not a direct thing. Like we know you take caffeine, you got energy. 
not like that. You're not going to, you know, do some breath work and you're going to drop five pounds, but does this make sense? That'd be cool, though. With that, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's think of it in terms, in, in these terms, I think that breath work enables you to have a dramatic positive impact upon your energy levels. You're getting oxygen into your system. You use oxygen to create energy. It blows off CO2, helps your tissues to be a little bit healthier. And it really has an impact upon your stress levels. You can use breath work to calm your stress levels down. And we know that if we manage our stress effectively, that's a very powerful tool that we can use in our fat loss toolkit. Breathwork is also incredible for calming us down to enable us to sleep better. We know that when we sleep better, we're better able to regulate leptin and ghrelin, two hormones that control your appetite and satiety. So you make better decisions throughout the course of the day with regards to your nutrition. So it helps with sleep, helps with stress, helps with energy. Then we move on to the move section. We know that when we move our bodies, we improve dramatically our health. We know that we can break down the foods that we eat and the fat stores that we have to create energy, whether it's in the gym, lifting weights, or it's in cardio exercise and muscular contractions burns calories. And if we are in a slight caloric deficit for long periods of time, longer periods of time, then we can change our body composition loads wrapped up in that. That's your area of expertise. We can talk about that as well for certain hours, but movement helps us to change our body composition, more muscle mass, healthier tissues, um, better percent body fat, or I would say optimized percent body fat, whatever that happens to be for you. We then get into energy, which is of course that, that energizing process of oxidizing our tissues, healing, repairing, and regenerating our, our tissues, creating inflammation to spark growth of new muscle mass of new brain cells, then that healing process to make sure that those tissues are repaired and regenerated. And that that's how we get stronger over an extended period of time. And so it's that process that we can follow all of which is going to make you so much healthier. It's very straightforward. It also helps us to get rid of a lot of the extreme ideas that are, that are out there because really it just comes down to manage your stress, get good sleep, move your body, whole host of different ways build muscle mass, eat for fuel and healing, get rid of the junk <laughs> and you're going to, and you're going to win 98% of the battles. But, um, you, like I said, this is, this is your area of expertise. I'd probably lean on you more, um, for your thoughts on this as well. I, I mean, it's a good answer. I think that ultimately it's, uh, questions like this are more indirect. It's like, will it help? Yes. But it's not like breathe better. You will lose fat, you know? So I think it's it, the way you said it is very good. And I, Ultimately, I, I think of this because I um, I was going through a, a presentation on essentially aerobic training. It was all things like energy systems and stuff. And it got me kind of thinking of this exact topic simply because if, you know, there's a lot of people who say, well, you don't need cardio to lose fat. You just create a caloric deficit. And that's true. But if a calorie deficit puts you in a state where you are, quote unquote, burning more fat, and we know that the the, the process of, of exhaling and, and a lot of it happening during sleep is your body literally going through lipolysis or fat oxidation. I got to imagine that the better your aerobic capacity is your aerobic system, as well as your, uh, your capability of breathing effectively and efficiently, you're probably going to have a more effective and efficient time at losing fat. You know, I think that's like, and again, but we can spin that in any way. It's like any form of health 
is probably going to help you accomplish fat loss easier. You know, so it, it doesn't even have to be just breath work. We can talk in any of these categories or other categories. They're probably going to directly or indirectly help your goal. I'm going to go with yes on that. I think that the game, the game really is just about building, I think is about building healthy lifestyle habits you can sustain for a long period of time. And when we practice any of the above, your physiology and psychology will become optimized. They will not necessarily perfectly optimized, but they will go in the right direction, uh, the direction that we want to go and the direction that we want to try to get to. You'll have more energy. Your body composition will improve. You will experience less pain. You'll have more range of motion. Your psychology will be, the research would suggest that your psychology would be better, especially when it comes to mild to moderate mental health, like depression and anxiety. There's a close relationship between all of the things that we've spoken about and joy and happiness and thriving uh, in our lives, which we all need so much of coming out of, of this pandemic. So we, I've been really trying to work on that lifestyle, overall healthy lifestyle approach. That's what I'm really trying to convey to my kids. I am right now trying to change my body composition to get back into doing um, some of the more ultra endurance stuff that I did prior to the pandemic. Um, so I'm playing with a lot of these concepts that we've that we've been speaking about and actively working on a number of them. Um, so it's complicated, but ultimately when I get confused or when I don't really know what to do, or I'm, you know, like struggling with anything, I'm just like, I'm just trying to live a long time, just trying to be super healthy. What would I, what is healthy, long living Greg do in this instance? And that's like, yeah, okay, I know what to do. And let's drink water and, you know, get a good night's sleep and spend time with my loved ones and go to the gym and go for a walk and, you know, all those sorts of things. So yeah. like, it's, this is when it get, when it comes down to it, you know what to do and, mm -hmm. It's just a question, a little decision that you make in that moment to, to go with what you want. Yeah. And, and, you know, to kind of conclude this, cause we're going to wrap up here is uh, the last thing that we didn't really touch on is thrive, but I got to imagine that it, that's kind of, once you do all these things, you're in a state of thriving and you can see what that looks like. And, um, you can, you can kind of explain that if you want, and then also add in, I know there's more to the book that we're not touching on here. And I want to leave that for the listeners to go get the book, which you, there's a link in the show notes of this podcast. I, I highly recommend you click that and go get the book. Um, cause there's actually, I believe a protocol and a challenge and stuff. So if you kind of want to just kind of cap us out there, the last section is thrive. And then there's some extras in there for the listener. If you want to explain those. Yeah. I mean, well, the ultimate objective with everything that I do is to help people live a great life, to help people reach their potential. And once you've done the, you know, learned the breath work, once you've got the movement practice going, once you've got the healthy healing nutritional practices installed, and there's information as well about hot and cold and those hormetic practices that you can experiment with. The goal for me is really just to make sure that you thrive. Like I want you flourishing in your life. I don't want you languishing in your life. I don't want you feeling stuck or burned out or exhausted anymore. And I know so many people have been experiencing that recently. So the, the last chapter of the book is just all about thriving. Like what are some practices that I've learned from incredible people that I've had an amazing chance to hang out with over the last 10 years, uh, traveling and spending time at conferences and, you know, and working with some of the most amazing people on the planet and encouraging all of us to get back to spending time with the people that we love in the places that elevate us doing the pursuits that bring us joy and happiness. So there's a lot of stuff at the end just about like back to thriving, back to reaching our potential, back to reaching um, 
our true capabilities uh, and and spending time with the people that we love and in the places that we love to be doing the things that we love to do. So that's the, 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 the end of the book is a little bit less ph- physiological and a lot more just about like, let's have a great life. I'm so sick of, of being yeah. held back. Let's go. Yeah. And so that's what the, that's what the end of the book is all about. I love it. I love it, man. Well, this has been an amazing podcast. I always enjoy talking to you so much. Um, like I said, for the listeners, the book is called powerhouse. Uh, I'm going to put a link to this in the description of the podcast, wherever you guys can find it. We'll also link, um, everywhere you can follow Greg. Uh, I believe you uh, obviously you're on Instagram, but I believe you also have, you have your website that has uh, a plethora of stuff. You have an app, you have a, yourself, you have a podcast as well. Correct. Okay. I didn't know if you've just featured all the time on other people's or tears, but um, yeah. we're going to link all that kind of stuff in the show notes. So, um, if there's anything I'm missing here that you want to shout out real quick or tell the listeners before we go. No, just like I've connected with a lot of your listeners on social and had some incredible conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out, like DM me on Instagram. I'm at Dr. Greg Wells. I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn as well, corporately. Uh, Websites, drgregwells.com. Book is there, app is there, but don't hesitate to reach out. Um, Just mentioned that you heard about me on Cody's podcast and I promise you all, I will get back to you. It might take me a while, but I promise you, I will answer you. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you, man, so much for your time. I always appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. It was super awesome. Great to speak to you again.